We could create a whole world in the mind of the listener simply by using sound effects. Ron Wolfley. Thud, 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 thud. <laughs> Boom, Luke Lipinski. Huh. Wolf and Luke. Arizona Sports. The local sports leader. Hour number two of the show, live from the Auction Community Studios. We promise this uh, hour of the show will be free of We Built This City yeah. rock and roll. Yeah, it's still in my head right now. I know. Now. Well, you did this. I know. It's brutal. You did this. I was just reading a quote. It's amazing. Some people own words, you know. Yes. Winning. We, Charlie you know, Sheen. Charlie Sheen owns the word. So three P. Phil built, Jackson literally we built owns the this word. noun. Whatever you say after we built this, it's you know what they own it. Jefferson Starship. They own it. They they absolutely own it. Now uh, we talked briefly about this yesterday. Yeah. Daniel Jeremiah, twenty twenty three NFL mock draft two point Okay. And so I'll read through it again in case, for whatever reason, somebody wasn't listening yesterday like they have their own life to attend to or whatever. Uh, First overall pick, he has Jalen Carter going to the Bears. I see. Second overall pick, he has Bryce Young going to the Texans. Okay. Okay. Seems believable so far. I think the Bears will trade that pick, but whatever. Third pick, Cardinals. Boom. We're all thinking, okay, Will Anderson. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Bada bang. Tyree Wilson. Okay, Tyree. Okay. Mm. Excuse me? No, thank you. No. I, can I just say that? I, yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, I don't. And, Will and, Anderson, you had me at Will. And it gets worse. Um, shoot, Aaron had the, uh, she had the comps for, for Tyree Wilson, but they, they were not, let's put it this way, they were not Von Miller, okay? Because <laughs> that, that was the comp for Will Anderson, right? Now yes. it doesn't mean he's going to become Von Miller. Exactly. But the Tyree Wilson comps, nothing against Tyree Wilson, but they were, and he might end up being a great player. But if you're staying at number three, you're taking Jalen Carter or Will Anderson, right? And this is where it gets worse. Number four, Colts, C.J. Stroud. Okay, yeah, they're desperate for a quarterback. They always are. Number five, well, Will Anderson, he just slides right down there to Seattle in this mock draft. Well, I hate that for a lot of reasons. So Daniel Jeremiah uh, spoke about this, actually. We didn't, we didn't get to hear what he had to say. So uh, here's, here's, um, here's what he has said about the reasoning, because now even the, the headline of the story, it's not a cardinal story, but even the headline of the story is Tyree Wilson goes over Will Anderson. So he explained himself. He's going to be taller. He's going to be longer. He's going to be more explosive. I think when you see the testing come out, he's going to run. He's going to probably run in the high four fives when it's all said and done with like some NBA type wingspan, like freakish wingspan. And then everybody say, well, oh, you're going traits over production. Well, this is different, you know, because I think this is going to be framed as what we had last year. I, I admire uh, the traits that you had last year with Trayvon Walker. And we were one of, I think both of us actually were pretty early on the Trayvon Walker train of this thing. This uh-huh. dude's going to go a lot higher than you guys think. That's what NFL of teams course, do. he went all the way up the board to number one. There's teams that are going to be traits, you know, traits-based teams. This is what worries me because some of what he said right there is true, Wolf. I mean, Daniel Jeremiah knows what he's doing. Oh, not, yeah, sure. But but it does feel like every year, okay, well, you know, you look at, at the end of the college football season, if you put out that mock draft, even if it shouldn't change at all, it always changes because the end of the college football season is early January and the draft's not till late April, so teams talk themselves into and out of players. Uh, Lance Zerline on the Move the Sticks podcast, why you could go with Tyree Wilson. Tyree Wilson, Let's do it. You know, you've got Will Anderson Jr., um, who everyone is putting there, including myself. But the fact is, from a trait standpoint, Will Anderson's got pretty good traits also. But from a trait standpoint and ups- upside standpoint, I think there is a little bit more 
excitement about Tyree Wilson. Maybe the the floor is a little lower than Will Anderson, but I could totally see this. I could see this happening. And when you look at the Cardinals' history now, different general manager there, different head coach, so maybe we don't read into history. But from a trait standpoint, Tyree's got a lot of great traits, and he's going to be a really big tester, a really big tester. Yeah, he is going to be a really big tester right there, and I'm not saying he's not going to be a good player. I'm not saying that right now. I'm saying Will Anderson, the reason why I love him, it's traits not over production. It's traits over people. Yeah. And and for me right now, you never must forget that these X's and O's on the field are people. They are. I don't... Don't talk to me about the production. It's also the people, the person that is actually out on the field doing that. For me, Will Anderson is the guy that I want. I, I, I have heard so many good things from people that are inside, people that are inside, people that observe Will Anderson on a daily basis, um, people that have met him, the kind of person that he is. It, it, to me, he's got everything you need from a great edge rusher, and he's got everything you need to be a great team captain as well. <laughs> he's got it all. He's got the personality. You know what else he's got, too? He's got a little something coming out of the side of his neck, a little nastiness that you can never forget is exactly the grease that you need to play the game of football well. Look, this is an inexact science, and I get that. And so I don't want to say any of this as a shot at Tyree Wilson because it absolutely isn't. He may go on to have a better career than Will Anderson. That's But it, Lance Zerline just said it right there in that cut. You can't... You can't assume the Cardinals are going to do now what they have done in the past. It's a different it's different everything now. Monty Austin Ford has never made a draft pick for the Arizona Cardinals. But as a fan of the Cardinals, don't you look at this and say, let's not overthink this. Will Anderson, 34 and a half sacks his, his three years in college, playing at Alabama, playing meaningful games every year, going into the playoff pretty much every year, and was an absolute monster and a guy that during the season, a lot of people were saying he should be the first overall pick, but obviously the team's going to take a quarterback sure. first. So why would you then, and I just hope this doesn't happen over the next month and a half still, be like, well, yeah, but you know, things change. Nothing has changed. There are no games between the start of January and in the NFL draft. There are no actual meaningful games. So I get that the combine is a thing and I get that it's like a huge show now, but I just get nervous when teams make picks based on the combine over way overvaluing that compared to what they actually do on a football field against opponents. You know, and this is it. You're going to see a lot more of this as well, Basin Orleans, though. You're going to see this. The reason why you get these. These guys saying, you know, oh, Will Anderson's going to fall, I think a lot of the time. They, they listen, they, they know. And people are out there watching this. The headline, listen to this, Bleacher Report. Daniel Jeremiah, 2023 NFL Mock Draft 2.0. Will Levis to Raiders. Will Anderson falls. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you want clicks, right? This is what yeah. you want. You yeah. want clicks. This is what you do. I love Daniel Jeremiah. I really do. I I respect his knowledge as well. Daniel Jeremiah, 2023 NFL Mock Draft 2.0. Tyree Wilson goes before Will Anderson. No, you're right. There it is, NFL.com. Everybody can't put the same mock draft out. Otherwise, most of those mock drafts won't get clicks. Look, here, here it is. This is what you have to know, Basin Orleans, about Will Anderson. This is a football player. This is a football player. He eats 
drinks, and breathes the game of football. This guy, this guy is is playing at a position you need sorely, you need badly. He's playing the edge, and he loves to play the game. Just watch him play. Watch the effort he gives. Watch him. The game reveals who you are as a person. And if you watch Will Anderson play, he shows you who he is. Take this with not just a grain of salt, like a a pound of salt. But I feel like I should at least throw it out there. We had the comp a couple weeks ago. Okay, what's what's uh, what's Will Anderson's comp? What's well, Von Miller? Okay, and that doesn't mean he's going to become Von Miller. Obviously, the Tyree Wilson comps that Maloney was able to find before the show were Montez Sweat and Ziggy Ansah. Who are not bad players, but not who you would take at number three overall if Von Miller were there. Now, the comps, that's a dangerous, that's a hypothetical on top of another hypothetical on top of another hypothetical. If you tell me the Cardinals don't take Will Anderson because they trade out of the pick and they get two firsts and two seconds or something, okay, well, that's maybe that's how they plan on rebuilding. If you tell me they don't get Will Anderson because... Chicago takes him, and Jalen Carter's there. And, yeah. Okay, or if you tell me they don't get him because somehow Carter and Anderson both are there, which is actually a pretty strong possibility, and they like Carter more, that's fine. I would prefer Anderson over Carter. But if you tell me that Will Anderson's there and Carter's gone, and they take somebody else, and Will yeah. Anderson slips to five, and Seattle gets him, yeah, I'm not going to be pleased. <laughs> For me, again, I just want to say this quickly: Will Anderson and the fact that Von Miller is his comp right now. You know what? To me, I don't like that because I think he's much more physical. Much more a physical player than Vaughn Miller. Uh, just announced, you will like this, Guns N' Roses heading to Chase Field October 11th. Tickets go on sale this Friday at 10 a.m., but you can win a pair now by texting ROSES to 620-620. That's ROSES to 620-620. Welcome to the jungle, Guns N' Roses fans. When we come back, what is the one thing that could plague the Suns this season, and how exactly... Are the uh, experts so convinced that Kevin Durant's going to slide right into this team seamlessly? That's next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf, this is not Coheed and Cambria, okay? Say no. The legendary Getty Lee, based on the anxiety. So I got some audio here from the Hoop Collective podcast. We started to play it before. We got a little sidetracked with, uh, you know, what could potentially go wrong for the Suns here. And, you know, it goes back to what Monty Williams was saying, don't skip steps. And that maybe is the the biggest um, issue the Suns may face here. There's some good teams. They, you know, you don't want to get too overconfident or get ahead of yourself. You don't want to be injured. But listen to some of the glowing reviews for what this could look like, okay? <laughs> yes, okay. I'm just going to fire some of these off. Let's right. start with uh, Brian Windhorst on the Hoop Collective today talking about just how well Kevin Durant fits in specifically with the Suns. Any team trades for Kevin Durant, your team gets better, right? But is, what's the adjustment period going to look like? Well, he says for the Suns, it, it could be pretty quick. The way the Suns offense operates, they run a lot of stuff to, to free Chris Paul up around the elbows because we know Chris Paul is one of the game's greatest ever elbow players, um, especially as he battled knee injuries. He went from being a guy who drove in to being a guy who controlled the mid-range. And that offensive system, which Booker is very comfortable with, you know, they basically use Aiton as a, as a, as a screener more than almost anybody in the league. And then the Chris Paul and Booker go to work. Durant fits into that beautifully. Durant 
you know, working through off the elbows is perfect. Let me uh, add one more here. Some of the plays that the Suns love to run are plays that Durant has run for 15 years. Like they're these things to get him free either at the elbow or to get him free on the wing for a three. I don't think we can just glaze over that. This is okay. Here, here, here. are we going to have to change what we like to do? And you would do it for a player as great as Kevin Durant. You might not have to because he might be walking in and be like, oh, yeah, I run that play. You don't change anything. I'll just run it. Yeah, it's great. It's great that he's he's going to be able to blend in. I, I think more than anything else, Kevin Durant strikes me as a guy that is really, really emotional. Even though he's not going to let you see the emotion, he really is an emotional guy. He strikes me to be this way. If, in fact, he's going to be in a context that is emotionally pleasing to him, I think he's capable of just going off and thriving in this kind of environment. And that's what I expect out of him. With Devin Booker, Devin Booker as your superstar, and now KD comes into that paradigm, and you've got Chris Paul, the legend that is Chris Paul, and DA as a throw-in on this. DA's one of the best dudes in that locker room. (laughs) From From a personality perspective, I think Kevin Durant is going to be home inside that locker room. And that's the reason why I I expect huge things from him. You mentioned DeAndre Ayton. Same podcast. Here's Mark J. Spears on DA. I think Ayton's going to get some of the easiest shots of his life. (laughs) Like like easy putbacks, easy stuff in the post. Because when you have those three guys... On the perimeter, I mean, it, it, it's about to get real easy for DeAndre Ayton. Again, I like to try and deal in logic as best I can, right? Yes. Stuff that just makes sense of things. What he just said is not like, well, the Suns are so good. They're going to be so talented. Oh, DA is going to out-talent everybody. Look at, you know, it's just going to be, nobody's going to be around DA. <laughs> because they can't be. <laughs> because there's Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. So now not only is DA taller than everybody, there's not going to be anybody around him. Okay. That's a scary thought. That is a scary thought. It used to be, well, yeah, DA could just roll out of bed and get you 17 and 10. It might be now he could roll out of bed and get you 24 and 14 because there's nobody around him. Do you have any other cuts of dudes that are praising the Phoenix Suns and how good they're going to be and just saying, here's the reason why they're going to be good? How about this one? How about Kirk Goldsbury, still from the Hoop Collective podcast uh, with, with Winhorst and Mark J. Spears talking about the mid-range game that the Suns just made even better. These are three elite mid-range talents in the era of endless catch-and-shoot threes. What we're about to see with Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and Chris Paul is three professors of mid-range scoring (laughs) lining up and just punishing teams that over the last few years have sort of been trained to give up these mid-range shots uh, and not guard this forsaken area between the paint and the three-point line. Well, Kevin Durant finds efficiency there better than anybody in the history of the game. And this is the one stat that I've hovered around with Kevin all year in the 25 years since they've been tagging shot locations in NBA games. Nobody has put up better mid-range shooting numbers, no volume scorer than Kevin Durant has this season. Uh, the only one close was Kevin Durant last season. <laughs> this season okay. and last season, not That's, 10 years ago. That is fascinating right there because would you say that Chris Paul is good with his mid-range game. Yes, uh, yes we would, of course. Devin Booker started that. the midi committee. Devin, Bo- Devin Booker. 
Um, it's a fascinating point. It really is. But when you hear all of this, uh, all I can hear is beware. All I can hear is Monty Williams reading the text that he got from Greg Popovich. That's all I can hear. I, I can't help it. Yes, it does. It's don't skip steps. Don't skip. St- don't assume is what Pop is saying. Mm-hmm. You've got to work this out together. And man, it's one of the reasons why we had this conversation earlier in the broadcast. What we did, we had the conversation where the leadership inside that locker room has got to be critical. It is critically important going forward. It's got to be critical to every little error that they make. You've got to be critical in a critical situation, critical of yourself. So there's two things with that. One, just quickly on that Goldsberry clip where he's talking about how teams in 2023 aren't really designed to defend the mid-range. They've been taught basically, don't worry about that, defend the three, defend the guy underneath the hoop, right? I mean, we that is so reminiscent of what we heard and saw during the Suns' run to the finals two seasons ago, where teams were like, well, yeah, give them the mid-range shot. We're tr- we won't give up threes. You know, yeah, that's, that's, right. Okay, well, Devin Booker will just keep hitting them. Chris Paul will just keep hitting them. How many times did Chris Paul in that run to the NBA finals just go to that same spot on the key and nobody was there? Yeah. And finally, teams were like, we probably should put somebody there. Like Milwaukee's like, we should get a guy in his way because he's hitting it every time. That is now stronger than it was, which is scary for the rest of the league. What you're saying as far as you, you can't you can't skip steps like Greg Popovich and now Monty <laughs> Williams are saying, or you, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourselves. Um, I think specifically with this team that applies to Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Monty Williams. If you tell me, look, I like Josh Okogie, but if you tell me Josh Okogie's walking around in a game thinking, oh, we got this wrapped up, I don't think it's going to burn the Suns. It's, it's Chris Paul... Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Monty Williams. Are they going to be locked in, that leadership you're talking about? And if you think about it, Monty's never won a title as a head coach. Booker's never won a title. Chris Paul's never won a title. Yeah. And I don't know if Kevin Durant fully grasps, maybe he does, how much winning a title here would be different than it was winning a title in Golden State. Let me just wrap this whole thing up, though, because I agree with what you're saying right there, but you just you have to talk about it, Luke. There's a lot of people that are grave diggers who bury issues. They bury problems because they don't want to talk about it. You don't want to be a grave digger. You've got you've to state the obvious, and the obvious is everyone's saying we're going to win the West. Everyone's saying this is the Suns are the favorite to win a championship. Even Gilbert Arenas, Chip. Chip with the dip is what he said right there in terms of the Phoenix Suns. And then he went on to say, if they don't win F the Nets group, meaning the Brooklyn Nets, this would be the biggest failure for Kevin Durant. There's a lot of people assuming right now the Phoenix Suns have already won this thing. That's why Greg Popovich is texting, don't skip steps. No, and he's right. And I don't think Gilbert Arenas is right. If you tell me that three years from now the Suns haven't won a title, we can have that conversation. If you tell me the Suns don't win a title when with 22 games left we're not even sure when Kevin Durant's going to play his first game as a Sun, if they don't win it this year, this does not compare to the Nets having all those years and (laughs) how many big threes did they try to run out there if they counted Ben Simmons as one. Um, But no, 100%, this, 
You made this move to win now and next year, and you should. Text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620. 620 right now when we come back. The Cardinals continue to fill out their coaching staff. So should you be worried about how young this coaching staff is? It is, like, historically young. We'll get into that next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke Middays. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Cardinals are going to officially introduce new defensive coordinator Nick Rallis today at 2, and then Drew Petzing, offensive coordinator, tomorrow at 2, Wolf. And so you've got a 29-year-old and a 35-year-old to go with your 40-year-old head coach. That is one of the youngest... uh, (laughs) It's not the entire coaching staff, but your head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. If it's not the youngest in NFL history... It's got to be like second, I believe. It's trending that way, yeah. Unless we're unless there's some team from like the 1920s that I don't know about, but this, I mean, it's an extremely young trio, <laughs> and there's some potential good and some potential risk with that too. Yeah. Well, first of all, it, it, coming from the old guy, it terrifies me, Basinonians. <laughs> it does. Uh, this is a super young coaching staff, and although they are all qualified to do the job. Man, I'm afraid they might be too analytically inclined. Isn't that right, Brandon Staley? See that? That is Ooh. to me. I, I'm just that's what somebody should have asked. How often are you going for it on fourth down? I, I, exactly. You know, <laughs> I, I'm so worried about that, and, and it doesn't stop there. When you say too analytically inclined, it's not just a question about fourth down. Yeah, but it, it it, that's where it starts for me. Uh, well, it, it does. It's the most obvious point you can make, though, to try to show a difference. That's my sweet spot, People the most being obvious analytically points. inclined. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why I continue basing on Ian's staff's soul questions. Because Jonathan Gannon, to me, seems to be an old soul. When you get up in front of the world and you use the V word, violence... To describe the game of football, <laughs> that immediately you are speaking my language because we all know it's not violence out of the street, ladies and gentlemen. It's violence, controlled violence inside those white lines. It's okay to go in there and want to drive somebody into the ground <laughs> and do it with a big grin on your face. It's okay to do that. And that, but, but for him, he, he's got an old soul quality about him that I really, really like. We had Jake Trotter on yesterday, covers the Browns for ESPN, and we were getting his thoughts on Drew Petzing, but we did ask him, okay, how about just in general, having this young of a coaching staff, what do you think? It can go one of two ways. You know, you know speaking of, of Cliff Kingsbury, I remember when he took over at Texas Tech, uh, you know, he, he assembled one of the youngest coaching staffs I, I think I'd ever seen. Uh, you know, guys that were you know in their 20s that had played at Texas Tech with him, and it didn't work out that well. I know this is college, we're talking about the NFL, it didn't work out that well initially. And I think he learned, you know, he needed some more veteran presence to balance that out. Um, but, you know, when you're trying to relate to players, you know, sometimes if you're younger, uh, that can make it a little bit easier uh, if you have some younger coaches on your staff. But, you know, like, listen, you can win with an older coaching staff. You can win with a younger coaching staff. It just ultimately what matters is, uh, you know, the chemistry and and the acumen and the ability to, to, to win. And you, you can do it a lot of different ways. Um, you know, the jury's going to be out out for sure because it is an unproven staff but uh, we've seen a lot of proven staffs proven head coaches in the NFL not do so well uh, when they've gotten another chance 
your fear, one of your fears with such a young staff is, are you just developing guys for other teams, right? I mean, this is why I didn't want a first-year head coach again. Now, it hasn't worked out. It's not like Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Wilkes are off coaching teams right now, but I just that that's that's part of the concern. Now, there's there's it's a double-edged sword. If Nick Rallis comes in here and does such a great job with your defense that he's yeah. eventually a head coach somewhere else, that's one thing. But what you don't want is like, okay, they go through all their growing pains here. It's kind of a mixed result. You end up letting them go. And then, I mean, these guys are so young that six, seven years down the line, they, you know, they get their, they really kind of click from going through the growing pains with the Cardinals. There's going to be growing pains. Mm-hmm. Their defensive coordinator is 29. Yeah, I know. But. It doesn't mean it can't work. That's that's the thing. It, do, it, it, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that. As a matter of fact, right now I want to riff on this a little bit. So Mel, can you bring me a digital download from my cloud account, please? As I riff on this just a little bit here. I'm sorry, Luke. Cloud account. Um, what, what's wrong? Look, is that not wrong? Just, just go. Basinonians, um, as Luke laughs it off. Football is a hard game. It's played by hard people. Football is a dangerous game. It's played by dangerous people. On the field, of course, in between the lines, dangerous. The game is played in the soul. Never forget that. Because it's hard, it's played in the soul. Because it's dangerous, it's played in the soul. The game is played in the soul first. Do not forget that. You win and you lose in the soul first. If you don't know how to do your job first, knowing what to do, will never win you a game. Why? Ask yourself why. You can know what to do, but if you don't play with piss and vinegar, ladies and gentlemen, you'll never be good enough to do your job. Ever. Analytics say the game is played in the mind, although the game does move to the mind from the spirit. It originates in the soul, and don't you forget it. The brain tells you what to do. The soul tells you how to do it. And that's what analytics always forgets. The how is so much more important than the what. I can't tell you how many guys have actually busted plays. And then just went out and made a play because they were so good. Now, you don't want busted plays all over the field. You don't want that. But never forget it. Knowing what to do is great, and it really is something you've got to know. Or else, how, how can you do your job? But the how is 10 times more important. And analytics always forgets the how. Uh, this quote from Jonathan Gannon in that Peter King, Peter King piece we referenced, and then we obviously had Peter King on yesterday. Um, he says, age isn't a prerequisite for firepower. I've always thought that. When we got to Philly, we had the youngest staff in the NFL. There's a reason that our players ran into the building to come to work. I love that. I'm going to have some guys with major, major experience worked into the staff because I value that too. Unquote. Uh, 
That hasn't happened yet. Yes. <laughs> he has not sprinkled in anybody with a ton of experience. Yes. And he still can. Again, these guys, um, I believe Jonathan Gannon is an old soul. And it's one of the reasons why I continue to ask these questions about that base earnings, because I'm trying to get the answer to that, because he speaks like an old soul. And he uses some terminology that is old school, old world, if you will. The blending of the two has got to happen here. The new age and the old age has got to be blended. Isn't that right, Kyler Murray? And that's what I'm hoping for. And that's why he's not going to hire guys who are not a little old world. Right, JG? Well, so what Patrick Tony, who they just got from Florida as a defensive assistant, sounds like he may work with the defensive backs. He's 32. He's not even the youngest guy on the staff. Not your defensive coordinator at 29. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's the old guy on the defense at 32. Spring training is here. And, like, seriously, there are games on Saturday. So what is the goal for the Diamondbacks this season? We're going to ask their general manager. This is one of my favorite interviews. I know I said this at the end of uh, last season, Wolf, but we get our weekly now again with the D-backs. Mike Hazen's going to join us next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. The home of Arizona Diamondbacks baseball. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Diamondbacks front office focus with Wolf and Luke. Yeah, baseball is back. Maybe can't tell by the weather today, but uh, we already had spring training weather earlier this week, Wolf, and now spring training games starting this Saturday. Pleased to be joined on the Arizona Sports Line by the general manager of your Arizona Diamondbacks for the first time this season, Mike Hazen. Mike, thank you so much for the time. How have you been? Hi, guys. Hope you had a good baseball offseason. I know you guys don't get the same offseason, but it's good to be back. Yeah, no, thank Mike. We really appreciate your time today. Uh, Mike, I remember talking about this towards the end of last season, how exciting this year's spring training was going to be because a lot of the young talent that you have stockpiled is starting to bubble up into the major league level. So I'll just start there. I mean, I, I would assume you love the idea of, of competition and how spirited it's going to be amongst your own players this spring. Yeah, I, I look, I think we have an interesting roster. Um, I think there's a good blend between some of our veteran guys that we've been able to bring in, some of the younger guys that, you know, the fans saw in the second half of the season last year. I think there's another year of growth for those guys. And so, you know, hopefully soon we can stop calling them young players, maybe maybe an age, but with some experience. And, and some of that is able to translate out onto the field for wins. Um, you know, I, I think with a young team, there's there's – We've talked about this before. There's, there can be some volatility out on the field. Uh, win and loss-wise, we're trying to close that gap uh, as fast as we can because we do think that there's a base of talent on this roster with these guys. They're, you know, they're not just young and exciting. I know that's what kind of gets thrown around. There's a base of talent here that we think has the chance to be part of a good team. We're going to get into that talent here momentarily, Mike, but how much do you think the new rules in baseball help this team in particular? I don't know the answer to that question. I hope it's going to help this team. You know, how we adjust to the rules will will be equally as important as how much the rules could possibly benefit sort of the characteristics of our team. So our focus right now is adjusting to the rules as quickly as possible because it is going to be new for everybody. Um, there's just going to be nuances to it that we need to figure out and figure out quickly, just like the other 29 teams do too. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but to your specific question, yes, I think with the bases and the shifting, 
et cetera. I, I, I think there will be an emphasis on speed. I hope that's what, what ends up happening. You know, nobody ever knows exactly how, you know, new rules kind of play out in the, in the environment. But I am hoping that speed athleticism will will be uh, enhanced um, in terms of what it can do, and and we have a lot of that, and so and, and we have good base runners. So it's not just that they're they're fast. I, mm-hmm. I I think we're a good base running team. I think we were one of the best base running teams in baseball last year. Um, I'm hoping that continues this year. Talking to D-backs general manager Mike Hazen. Uh, you know, Mike, obviously I don't have to explain this to you, but just to kind of reset for the listeners, there are teams that can just throw billions of dollars at players, and, and if they mess up, they can just keep throwing more money out there. You have to build your team a different way, and you have stockpiled some of these players. Now, how, how much of your focus, how much do you have to walk that fine line of trying to get guys signed long-term before they've totally proven it at this level? Yeah, look, I, I, the payroll is irrelevant to me, right? I mean, everybody has the challenges and, and what they have to do to build a team, and um, no, nobody ever creates the perfect team, and there's no nothing that's going to create the perfect team, and so that 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 dynamic is irrelevant to me. We're we're in the we're in the business of finding really good baseball players wherever we can, and then having those baseball players come together as a team, and we have equal opportunity to do that, just like the other twenty nine teams do. And so, you know, we we you know we 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 yes, we have a younger team at present. Some of that is a result of uh, unfortunately some poor performances over the last couple of years from a team standpoint. Um, but you know, I, I think this group is kind of coming up together. In a, in a good way, you know, I think as fans kind of get to know some of these players and their names, and, and there's multiples of them, it's not one or two guys, I do think there's a group of them that we feel really good about, that, that group is going to be here for a while, and so hopefully some, you know, name recognition comes along with some success on the field, and, and I think that's what, you know, we all want, we all want a team that's going to be here that we can get behind, that we can sort of start to root for when they're young and grow with them. And I think there's at least a foundation of that. Now, we have to go turn that into success, um, but that's what we're committed to doing. So, Mike, the guys only played 32 games at the major league level, but you know here, speaking of names, here comes a name, Corbin Carroll. What are your expectations for Corbin? My expectations are the same as I would for any young player. They're, they're, there's not really expectations. It's, it's a dangerous game to play with young players. Every player, no matter how talented, they have to learn the game at this level through success and failure. And no, I don't think anyone's immune to that. I don't. I've been around a lot of really, really talented players that have gone on to be superstars. That, you know, that first 30 to 100 games hasn't gone exactly the way the rest of their career is gone. So, you know, just seen that too many times. He is an exceptional player. He has incredible makeup, and he's one of the hardest-working, most dedicated players we have in our system and on our team. And to me, that's the foundation for a really good player. <laughs> Talking to Mike Hazen, uh, Mike, this happened in the offseason, but this is our first chance to really talk to you about it, even though it was a, you know, a month or two ago. But trading Dalton Varsho, but then getting back Gabriel Moreno and Lourdes Gurriel, um, I'm sure that wasn't easy to trade Varsho, but you obviously liked what you got back from Toronto. What can you tell us about the two new guys? Yeah, I mean, look, not my favorite thing to be doing, um, and, and I've unfortunately done it before um, with some other <laughs> other things. It's not, it's, not, it's not your favorite part of your job of taking a really good player off of your team. I think what we felt like we needed to do, uh, uh, you know, at the, at, the, at the risk of repeating myself, I mean, I, 
feeling like we were or were not one player away, which I feel like we were not, still don't. Um, I don't think we can get stuck in that mode of just running the same team out there every year, thinking that you've made significant changes to the roster, given your team um, that much more of a chance to be successful. And being able to get two players back for Dalton Varsho, two really good players back for Dalton Varsho, as much as we were losing one of our better players um, at times, if not our best player out there on the field, um, you know, we felt like we strengthened other areas of the team that we wouldn't have necessarily been able to do otherwise. And we felt like the younger guys that did a lot of what Dalton did, that hopefully with some growth and maturity there, that we could potentially replace some of his production with the guys that we had on our roster. And, and you know, net result being hopefully we could come out further ahead. So that was sort of the rationale behind what we did. We'll see if we're right or not. Um, but again, not you don't take taking somebody like Dalton Varsho off your roster lightly. Um, it, it's not something where, you know, you, you, you know you're just trading off players and there, there's not an impact in your clubhouse or how your other players may feel about it. Took all those things into consideration. We, we felt like it was going to be the best for the short and long term for us. So, Mike, I know you've been asked this a, a million times out there, but tell me your reasoning why you signed Evan Longoria to a one-year contract. Yeah, I, you know, we have a very young team. Um, Evan has been incredibly successful, both on the field and in the clubhouse, for a number of very good teams. I, that element is hard for us to manufacture um, from internally when we we aren't, you know, we're, we're not built with a lot of experienced players that have seen or done what he's done. And we have taken opportunities in the past and will continue to do so when you have a younger roster of trying to bring in players that can impart some of that wisdom and still play the game at a very high level um, and complemented our roster uh, extremely well, given how left-handed we were uh, at times and susceptible we were to left-handed pitching, specific left-handed starters. Um, So those things all matched up for us. So, Mike, did you know him to be a guy that was one of these guys inside the clubhouse that shared his knowledge with others? Did you know that about him? We dug around on those things for sure. I mean, didn't really know about it um, to the extent that we don't sometimes before we start doing a lot of our off-season prep on on guys that we're going to you know have a lot of conversations with people in and around him. Mm-hmm. All, all teams do that, sort of gathering information. We had seen him when we were at the Red Sox with the Rays, dominate us over and over and over and over again. And then, you know, as, as he was with the Giants, kind of saw it there as well, too. Um but through a lot of conversations, you just hear the little things, the areas where there's such a contribution in that area that we felt like it was a good match for us. Huge. Well, Mike, we're excited for this season. Thank you for the time. Good luck this year, all right? All right, guys. Thanks. Okay, Mike. That's uh, D-backs general manager Mike Hazen joining us right there on the Arizona Sports Line and uh, Cactus League game starting Saturday, Wolf. Yeah. We're going to see Cactus League or Kevin Durant in his son's uniform first. Mm. Either way, it's both happening this weekend, I yeah. think. All right. I still have the freaky Mike Hazen on my mind. Wheeling and dealing. I'll take you to the top stories of the day with Wolf and Daniel. Smart dude, man. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.